Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Yes, he is. How many of you are glad he is holy forever? <clears throat> Meaning that in him there is no shadow of turning. He won't take a bribe. He won't take a bribe. He won't change on you. He'll always be holy. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Hey, let me just look at you for a second. Y'all okay? Huh? Now, y'all, please don't be as quiet and, and tired as the first worship time, all right? Now, what do you mean by that? Sometimes up here, preaching a message feels like pushing a chain up a hill. Now, if you picture that in your mind's eye, you're trying to push the chain, and what does it do? It just keeps folding behind you, right? And so I want to encourage you today not to be uh, just stoic, and and this isn't a lecture time. This is a time for me and you to engage in a message together. So I hope that you'll help me this morning, all right, by smiling every once in a while. You know, can y'all do that? Can we get a smile wave going? Let's start here and just kind of smile wave. Yep, some of y'all are like, I ain't smiling. My power's out, and I ain't had a shower in three days. All right, one more time. Y'all put a smile on over here, and we just kind of smile wave through the middle. Yeah, 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 all right. Okay, all right, how about the back back there? Y'all can't, y'all, there we go. On this side up here, Tina, how about you? There we go, that's my favorite. Hey, that's my favorite one. I had to see that one before I dive into this word. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to join me in the book of the Old Testament called 2 Kings, all right? Now, if you don't know what that is, funny thing about your Bible, it has a table of contents. And for whatever reason, we're always sort of prideful about that. But listen, nobody in here is going to judge you if you look on there, and it'll tell you where Second Kings is. And we're all at a different place in the journey. Nobody here is looking down upon anybody else. We're just glad you're here. Amen? And uh, we're going to, I know this, we're going to gain knowledge today from his word. So Second Kings chapter number 6. We're going to pick up in verse number 8. And we're going to look into a time that's going to help us build on some of the things we've learned in the last few weeks. Some of y'all say, oh, we weren't here in the last few weeks. Well, there was one particular message where we talked about the fact that there's one promise that, you remember how to complete the statement, that changes everything, right? And we said that that promise is not that we're always going to be healed. We said that that promise is not that we're always going to have, you know, more money than we can spend. We said that that promise is not the fact that we're never going to have hardship or face difficulty, but that that promise is, God says to me and you, four words, I am with you. And that's the overarching promise that we have. Everything we face, our joy is rooted and found in the fact that no matter the outcome, God is with us, okay? It's the, what we celebrate oftentimes from the, uh, the book of Isaiah around Christmas time, the, when, when the reference of Jesus before he came, he was called Emmanuel, which is God with us. It's just that promise. But I want to say this to you. In the, a little bit of time since that message, I've had some reach out to me and say, well, my situation is so impossible, I know that my only uh, uh, hope is this one promise that God is with me. And I'm afraid <clears throat> that hearing that promise, the enemy has twisted that to mean that you can't believe God for the impossible. Does that make sense to you? In other words, I've had some reach out and say, well, I've got this diagnosis, I've got this going on, I've got this going on, and so I know that the, the only really thing I'm anchored to is that God is with me. And that's true. But you still need to anchor to the fact that he's the God of the impossible, amen? He still heals. He still delivers. He still shields. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at a message that answers the question, can I have victory when it seems impossible? Now, it may be in your marriage, it may be in your single life, it may be in parenting, it may be in grandparenting, it may be in finances, it may be in relationship, Uh, but there are some areas in our life that it seems like the odds are stacked against us. Can anybody identify with that? Slip your hand up if there's some areas in your life, your children's life, some of your friends' lives, just about eight of us. The rest of y'all, I need to come find out where you're living and how you're living, amen? And so uh, I'll ask you one more time, all right? How many of you say that there's at least some situation you know about that the odds seem stacked against you in a heavy way? All right, so today I pray this word would encourage you not just to say, well, I'm probably gonna, you know, die of cancer because, you know, the promise I have is that God with me. That's true, but God still heals the cancer. Can can I say that to you this morning? Uh, He still does the impossible. So let's dive into the word of God and let it answer for us this morning, all right? Now, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet with me this morning in honor of reading God's word. And we're going to read, watch this, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, all the way down to verse number 23. Can you stand that long? I know you could. And if you physically can't stand, listen, stand in your heart. That's all right. Uh, We understand nobody's going to look down on you or be mad at you, okay? 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse number 8. We're going to look at a historical account of one of God's prophets named Elisha with an S, okay? And something that happens in a very impossible situation. uh, And so I pray that God would help speak to our hearts this morning. Are you all ready? Can we begin? Yes? All right, I'm going to wait for about six more of you to say yes or not. There you go, all right. Good, I won't leave the 99 of you, right? (laughs) Okay, here we go, verse number 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants. This is the conversation that he had. My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, and that's reference to Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, and he told him, beware that you do not pass in this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. So what's happening in verse 8 and 9, the king of Syria said, I'm going to go set an ambush over there, and God tells Elisha, Elisha tells the king of Israel, King of Israel sends a spy over there, and sure enough, they've got an ambush, so they don't go there. And let's read a little further, verse number 10. The king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there. Not just once, but, I mean, excuse me, not just once or twice. So that happened several times. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, as he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, which one of y'all is a traitor? Which one of y'all is telling, leaking information? How are they finding out every place that I set an ambush and they avoid it? How is this? Somebody's talking, okay? Let's read. Somebody is talking, but there's not anybody in the room. And one of his servants said back to him, none, none of us, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak, help me somebody, in your bedroom. And so he said, well, go and see where he is that I might send and get him. I got a plan. If he reads my thoughts, I'm going to go get him. That's smart. All right, so he goes on and he says in verse number 13, go and find out where he is so that I can go and get him. And he said in verse, in verse 13, uh, it's surely that they told him saying, surely he's in Dothan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, they sent a great army to capture one man. Really, there's two, but, but they're going for one. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and he went outside, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Elisha answered his servant. He said, Don't fear, don't be afraid. Uh, For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes that we may see, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and he said, strike these people, I pray, with blindness. And God struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man who you seek. It's him. It's him. But he led them to Samaria. And so it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? No, instead set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the hands of Syrian raiders, or the bands rather, of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Now let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you today on this day where we honor fathers and praise you for them. That this many people came out on a stormy day and filled this place up. God, I bless you and thank you for it. Now, would you speak to our hearts? God, I pray as they've given the most valuable thing they have, their time. I pray I wouldn't waste one minute. So would you please speak through me to us? I simply pray as I humble myself, I ask you, Lord, by the gift you've given me and the spirit you've given me, preach your word. Preach it in such a way that I can get it. If I can get it, anybody can. Make it simple. And yet, Lord, I thank you that it is profound. And now as we ready ourselves, we pull up to the table, we pray that you would feed us from the wealth of your knowledge, and that, God, we would leave here transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus, for it's in his name that we pray, and the people of God said, amen. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. By the way, I was thinking about our brothers and sisters uh, worshiping the Lord all around the world, some of them in buildings, some without buildings, some in holes, some with water, some without water, some with power, some without. Here you guys came in a, in a Western mindset and said, I'm going to worship no matter what, and I want to say thank you for that, okay? Thank you for that. We will hope to be culture changers, all right? And so today as we rewind back to the beginning, we're going to answer the question, can I have victory where it seems impossible, okay? Now here is the main idea. If I was to take verse 8 through verse 23 and give it to you in one quick statement, here's what it is. You ready? God's people are never underdogs. Would you write that somewhere? God's people are never, help me somebody, underdogs. Have you ever felt like an underdog? Yes. Do you ever feel like a situation and circumstance you're in that you can't win? Yes. But the truth we need to hear this morning that dispels those lies and frees us up to walk in that victory is God's children are never, help me somebody, underdogs. Never are we underdogs. It may look like it, but we never are, okay? Now, the promise is he is always with us, but we don't want that promise to make us just sit back and say, well, I don't believe God can heal me. I don't believe this impossible situation can go away. I'm just going to rest on the fact that God is with me. Yes, rest on the fact that God is with me, but understand he's the God of the impossible, and so let's dive into this word this morning. We have four individual straight statements I want to make to you from the word of God this morning. Number one in your notes, Roman number one is this. The enemies of God, and we're going to talk about this is in verse 8 through 14. And that is that the enemies of God are extremely limited. Now think on that for a minute. The enemies of God are not just limited, they are extremely limited. Now the problem is, as you're writing, I'm going to talk. The problem is our comparison. Because what we do is we compare our enemy's power and strength and, and numbers against our own strength and our own power and our own might. In that comparison, we're no match, right? 
in and of ourselves, we can't outthink him. He's been around for thousands and thousands of years. He's been playing this game of tricking and lying. He's the father of lies. So, of course, we believe him oftentimes because he is good at it, right? And so in this, today, we want to walk in this truth that the enemies of God are extremely limited. The comparison is not between me and Satan. The comparison is between Satan and God. And when I look at the right comparison, I understand that they're extremely limited. They are extremely limited. Let me talk about it in detail. Two details I'm going to give you in these verses, all right? Verses 8 to 14. First detail is this. They will never have the element of surprise. They'll never have it. They'll never sneak up on you. You said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't see the attack of the enemy coming. Yeah, I'm not talking about to you. I'm talking about to the one who is with you. I'm talking about the one who gave his son for you. I'm talking about the one who thinks about you more times than there are numbers in human understanding. Now, you want to talk about somebody thinking about you all the time. God is always thinking about you. And that, that's good to know. And he's always thinking about you. So, uh, the enemy will never have the element of surprise. Look in verses 8 through 12. What happens? This king of Syria is going to surprise attack God's people. So, he's thinking to himself, I'm going to set an ambush over here, and when they go that way, I'll have the element of surprise. Now, what you'll find out is whether it's a military campaign or a one-on-one fight, the element of surprise gives you the upper hand. If you understand that, just say amen. Anybody here ever been sucker punched? I'm just kidding. Don't say that out loud. You will find, and I'll just speak from, from past experience, if you have ever been sucker punched before, it is hard to recover. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so somebody said, I can't believe they talked and said, preachers talking about getting sucker punched in the, in the pulpit. Well, I wasn't born a preacher. You understand, I was in the bar rooms just 20-something years ago. So please understand I have to use some of the context of my life to make application to the truth, all right? So uh, if you've been sucker punched, it's hard to recover. If you're a, a military, a world power, or a, a military force, if the enemy you're fighting attacks you and you don't know that you're engaged, before you know that you're engaged, they automatically have the upper hand. But the enemy can never plan. Listen, he'll never be able to to carry out the element of surprise. So this king is planning, and he's planning with his team. And so every time he plans an ambush, the children of Israel, they go around it. Uh, and, and And the scripture says in verse 10, it didn't just happen once or twice. It happened over and over. Can you imagine that? You've got you imagine being the king of Syria. You've done all your planning. You've moved all your resources, which was a monumental task in those days. It still is, but even more so then. You've moved all your forces here to this secret location that nobody knows about. And you've got it set up perfect. You know the children of Israel have got to pass through there. You've got all your best fighters. You've got all your best equipment. Everything's set up. And they fool around and go a different way. And so then you plan another one. You, you go to all the trouble of bringing those forces home and, and regathering and replanning, and you set up another ambush, and you get everything strategically put just perfectly, and they go around that one, go a different way. And don't you imagine after about the fifth time, that guy's about ready to pull his hair out. Matter of fact, he's about ready to kill one of his servants. So he gets everybody together, and he says to them, hey, which one of y'all, I know he didn't say y'all, but go with me, which one of y'all has been telling the king of Israel, who's been telling them where we're setting up this ambush? There's no way by uh, happenstance that they've been dodging every ambush that we've set up. There's no way. Somebody's talking. And he asked the question, who is it? Now, let's just read a little further along in verse, this is verses 8 through 12. And the man of God uh, warns them each time. And the king calls everybody in. In verse number uh, 11, he says, He says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled, and he brings everybody in. And one of his servants in verse 12 says, it's not any of us. It's none of us, my lord, the king, but there is a guy 
who is Elisha, who is a prophet. Now, prophet in the Old Testament means mouthpiece for God. That's what he was. And so what was happening was God was telling Elisha things that Elisha couldn't see because Elisha's in one location at one time, but God is not. And, and God is saying to Elisha, now look, this is what they're planning. And there was somebody in the camp, you with me? But it wasn't one of uh, uh, the king of Syria's men. It was God himself. And what, the, what his servant said to him is that it's worse than, 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 than the meetings we have together. He tells him what you say when you're in your bedroom and by yourself thinking about the plan. Uh, in your head, God reads your thought, passes it to Elijah, and they avoid the attack. And I'm telling you that as the enemy strives to scheme to tear you down as a single person, as a married person, as a parent, as a business owner, as he continually strategically plans and puts things in place, he never has the element of surprise because your God, my God, those of us who put our hope and trust in Jesus, hears every plan and causes us to miss them or, or to go through them with his presence coming out better on the other side. I don't know about you, but... There have been times in my life where I'm thinking, God, whoa, 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 how'd you let this happen? And major things, things that cause me to want to go hide in a cave somewhere uh, in my own family. And yet, coming out the other side, I say, God, thank you that you allowed that to happen because we are better for it. And so, the enemy will never have the element of surprise. I didn't tell you that he doesn't try. I didn't tell you that he doesn't scheme. I didn't tell you that he doesn't have demons at his disposal. I didn't tell you that I, all of that's in play, but he does not have the element of surprise. Aren't you glad of that? You know, the truth is, is that we have a God who is all places at all times, and the enemy is no match for him. Number two, all right, and I said there's two details about this I want to share with you. First one was they'll never have, the enemy will never have the enemy, excuse me, the element of surprise. The second thing I want us to look at is found in verses 13 and 14. And I want you to write this in your notes there. Number two, they will, so two things that causes them to be extremely limited. One, they don't have the element of surprise. Number two, they'll never have sufficient supply. Did you know that to win a military campaign, you've got to have sufficient supplies? You have to, or you can't win. Matter of fact, when you go back and study a lot of the wars, even in this nation, even in uh, this particular nation, United States, a lot of the wars of yesterday were won by cutting off supply lines. If you don't have enough supplies, if you don't have enough troops, you can't win. If you can't feed the troops you have, guess what? You can't win. And so you have to have the supplies in order to carry out the attack and the defeat of your enemies. But listen to what I have, verse 13 and 14 says, so, so now here's the logic of man. This king, he's so smart, the king of Syria, and by the way, the Syrians were bad dudes, all right? Warlike guys, I'm telling you. And this king of the Syrians, he's so smart, he finds out that there's a guy that is reading his thoughts in his bedroom. And his plan is to go capture that guy. Now, that's smart, isn't it? Uh, me, on the other hand, if somebody is reading my thoughts in my bedroom and every attack I plan, they dodge, I'm going to leave that cat alone. Anybody else in the room got a little sense about you? To say, if he's reading your thoughts, what are you going to do? Plan ahead of him? No. So leave him alone. If I thought about going to get him, guess what? He knows I'm coming to get him. And so anyway, y'all are tracking with me this morning. But I'm just trying to be a little logical here. And I just see the depravity of man all over what happens in the text of God's word. So he's going to go get him. Now watch what happens in verse 13 and 14. Go and see where he is that I might send him. So they go tell him he's in Dothan and this wonderful plan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And he came by night and surrounded the city. Boy, he's got them right where he wants them. Don't you know? The problem is his supplies are too limited. He didn't have enough horses. He didn't have enough chariots. He didn't have enough power. He didn't have enough swords. He didn't have enough shields to ever, ever, ever defeat God. 
And so his supplies, though they look great, are very, very small. Let's see how this thing unfolds. Roman number one, the enemies of God are extremely limited. Do you see it? Do you see it in the text? They're limited how? Number one, they'll never have the element of surprise. And number two, never will they ever have enough supply to defeat the children of God. Isn't that good news? If you're his child, it's good news. It's exciting to me to know uh, that their self-sufficiency can never defeat the people of God. Number two, all right, so we said Roman number one, the enemies of God are extremely limited. Number two, the initial battlefield, now watch this, is the mind. The initial battlefield is where? Did you know that before you and I ever step foot on the battlefield, there's a battle that takes place? In the mind. And our struggle is this. Uh, we have a tendency to trust what our eyes see and what our ears hear. And when the, we see something or we hear something, we think that we've got it figured out, and we say, well, it looks like this. Studies show that. Uh, what I heard was this. And we make a predetermined right, end before the fight ever happens. Uh, I tell my kids oftentimes, uh, don't lose in your mind before you get in the batter's box. Uh, don't lose in your mind before you get on the pitcher's mound, right? You, you know that can happen. You can lose in your mind before you ever take the battlefield. All right, let's look and see where I got that from in the text. Look at verses 15 and the beginning of 16. So when the servant of the man of the Lord rose early, so what happened during the night? He moved all of his forces, surrounded Elisha and his servant, He's going to capture him because he's, you know, all-powerful, not. And the servant gets up, and he's not privy to everything that's going on. He doesn't know all the plans, and God's not speaking to him like he is to Elisha. So when he wakes up with his coffee and goes outside, I'm thinking he had some coffee. Any of y'all wake up and you have to sometimes shake the cobwebs off? Yes, yeah, some of y'all are. How many of you say it takes you a little time to wake up in the morning and raise your hand if it takes you a little time? Some of y'all are too tired to even raise your hand this morning, see? And so he wakes up, and can you imagine? He went to sleep the night before like every other night. And he gets up, you know, and he goes to the door, and he opens the door. And I, I like to go out the front door in the mornings and just kind of look, breathe in some fresh air from outside and look around. And, and he goes out, and, he, and all, all of a sudden what he sees is war horses. And he hears the neighing of the horses and the snorting and the clopping of their, of their hooves on the ground. And they're, they're ready for war, and they're, they're surrounded on every side. As far as you can see in any direction are chariots and war, men that want to kill you in some terrible ways. And they're everywhere. You, you, you can just imagine. They're so outnumbered in the stillness of the morning that most likely, can you, can you just imagine so many soldiers, so many horses, he could probably hear the heartbeat of all of these are ready to pounce on them. And I'm telling you, it must have been an overwhelming morning, don't you think? And he quickly goes and finds Elisha and says, Alas, master. What should we do? What are we going to do? Don't you know he's played some scenarios in his head? Well, I can't fight enough to beat three of them, and I can't run fast enough because they surround us on every side. And don't you know that at that moment, most likely, his thoughts went to this. I wonder if the death is going to be painful or quick. I wonder if they're going to toy with us and torture us, or they're going to kill us quickly. And so he turns to Elisha and says, what in the world are we going to to do. I want you to understand that oftentimes, if we're not careful, we'll be defeated in our mind before we ever face the battle. Sometimes the very diagnosis, sometimes simply the one that says to you, uh, I don't love you or I want a divorce, seems to be the thing that lets us say, well, you know what? Life is not good and I'm going to be defeated and it can't be good again and this thing is final. And the diagnosis says 80% of people who have this particular kind of cancer are going to die and we trust more in percentages and treatment plans than we do in the God of angel armies. And he says, 
He says, what in the world shall we do? So I want you to be careful as you walk this journey, not to be led by your eyes and your ears, right? Because when we're led by our eyes and ears, you know what? Fear ends up being our guide. You ever been there? Anybody here besides me can ever say that fear has guided you before? And it's a terrible, troubling place that fear leads you to, isn't it? It's a place of anxiety, a place of depression, a place where you don't feel joy, a place where uh, you can't find the strength sometimes to put one foot in front of the other and keep going, whether it's single or in a relationship. It begins to be so heavy and so hard that we just don't want to go. We've been defeated here before the battle ever happens. And so he's showing and proving to us that, man, we have a tendency to get, be afraid. And so Elisha says, don't be afraid. And let's just look for just a minute, okay? Now, let me remind you of a couple of things. First of all, 2 Timothy 1.7. Now, this is a verse you've heard me say so often, but I want you to write it somewhere in your notes. Here's what it says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So, so listen, leave that verse up there for me just a second. So God never intends for fear of anything other than himself to guide our direction. Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but, but what has he given us? He's given us a spirit of Power and love and a sound mind. No matter the diagnosis, no matter, no matter the relationship struggle, no matter the financial hurdle, um, he has given us. So if, here's what I've determined based on that verse. If fear is determining my attitude and what I, my actions, then I'm being led by fear and not by God. And fear, listen to me, does not make a good God. Did anybody hear me say that? Fear does not make a good, it'll lead you to places of panic. And when we panic, we do dumb stuff. Anybody say amen right there? I've given you the funny example before of my former boss who was choking one time on roast beef. In the midst of his choking, he stands up from the table at Piccadilly and runs from me as fast as he can. I asked him if he needed help. He said yes. He gets up and runs from me. I'm chasing him through Piccadilly. If y'all remember the old by the Metro Center, we're knocking glasses over. It's a really fun thing. He goes into the bathroom. He gets it up, and I finally catch him. I said, man, what in the world? Why are you running? He said, I've panicked. I panicked. I said, you, you said you needed help. Then you ran from me. He said, I know. I panicked. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I was eating some roast beef, and I started to choke. So I panicked and I ate some cornbread to push it down. Huh? When you panic, you'll do some dumb stuff. Won't we, me and you. And so the enemy, he wants to lie. And by the way, the, way, the reason that, that Jesus referred to him as the father of lies, he is good at it. He dresses the lie up and it sounds so convincing and true that you'll, you and I will begin to operate based on the lie. The truth is that God is with us. The truth is that God is able to overcome all our enemies. And so what he'll do is he'll twist. Now, let me just say something. What I learned this last week is he'll even take the truth and twist it to a lie. Let, let me show you. Here's the truth. God is with me. That's the only promise that changes everything. God is with me. He'll twist that in your moment of diagnosis and struggle and say, well, God's not going to, he's with you, but it's not going to help you. Your situation's impossible. That's a lie. It's a half-truth. Yes, he's with me. But God still is also able to deliver me from even the Syrian army, much less the cancer or the financial struggle or whatever it is that I'm facing. So the battlefield of the mind, we don't want to lose there. We don't want to be led by our eyes and, and ears because we'll panic, and in panic we do some very dumb things. And if we are led instead by the Spirit, the Spirit leads us into victory. Aren't you glad of that? And he leads you into victory first here. 
and you're able to settle by the Word of God and the Spirit of God all the lies. You filter them through the truth of His Word, and you're reminded today that, yes, the promise is that God is always with us, but at the same time, you're reminded today that even when we're outnumbered by the Syrian army, God still can deliver me in supernatural ways. Come on, I wish somebody smiled with me this morning. I wish somebody in here had experienced a little of that so you could smile with me, and I have in my own life. Number three, number three, God's people, all right, have one promise. This is going to sound familiar. Y'all help me? That changes everything. And this is that promise that God is with us. And it's going to be in the second part of verse 16 into 17. It's in Elisha's response to the fear, okay, in his heart, all right, in, in the servant's heart. So y'all looking with me in verses 16 and 17. So this army surrounding, the horses' hooves are clanging. They're ready for war. They're going to attack and take these two. They're outnumbered in every way. And Elijah answers, do not. We know he's afraid because Elijah tells him, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. And he says, now here's the truth. For those who are with us, y'all help me, are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed. And he said, Lord, I, I pray, open his eyes. Now I want you to think for just a minute about what he's saying there, okay? Uh, he says, God's people have one promise that changes everything. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you'd open his eyes. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And what did he see? He saw past his feelings, okay? Now, his feelings told him they were all alone. His feelings, the lies of the enemy said, you're not going to win. There are more of them logically than there are of you. You can't overcome this. You ever heard that lie? It's a lie he's used for thousands and thousands of years. You can't overcome this. This is going to get you. You'll never make it. And he whispers it over and over. And if we're not careful, if we don't battle with truth, we find ourselves operating based on that lie. And we just give up. We don't fight. We don't pray. We don't believe. We just succumb and forfeit. And that is not the intention of God. And so he says, and behold, he, he prays, and God opens his eyes, and the young man sees, behold, the mountain was full of horses of chariots, uh, horses and chariots, y'all help me, of fire all around Elijah. Can you imagine seeing that? I love that look right there. Y'all like, meh, you know. I guess y'all have seen horses made out of fire before. I, on the other hand, <laughs> have not. And I would love to see a horse made out of fire. Wouldn't you? I, well, if, as long as it didn't burn me. And chariots made out of fire. And warriors made out of fire. And to see them all over the mountainside, boom, in an instant when Elisha prayed, boom. He's looking all around. I don't know. It, it probably would have been a little bit of an overwhelming thing, except that you knew they're on your side facing out toward the enemy. Wow. So you're looking, you're gauging. And first, my first thought would be like, are they about to get us? And then I'd be noticing the fact that they're not pointing towards us. They're pointing toward our enemy. And listen to me. I want you to understand that what is these chariots and horses of fire? If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll worship the chariots of fire and the horses of fire, and we'll make some kind of religion based on horses of fire, and we'll make T-shirts with horses made out of fire, and that is not, in fact, the point of this message. The point of this message and what was going on is that God was, in fact, with them. He was with them. And part of God being with you is provision and protection. He provided those military forces they needed to be protected in the midst of the war. Isn't that good news? Today, you'll never find yourself in a place where God can't protect you. So chariots and horses of fire would have loved to have seen that, don't you? And so the point of this passage or these particular verses are that, that we sang about it earlier. There's a hope that chases fear away. And that hope and that trust and that belief is that God is with us. 
and that he's able to defeat our enemies, all right? So let me move on if I can. I want to show you one particular passage in, this, in the Old Testament here. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7 and 8. Y'all read this with me. This is amazing. Hezekiah is facing Sennacherib. There's another battle going on at another particular time in history. And listen to the words of Hezekiah as he is encouraging the people of Israel before the battle. You reading? Read with me. Be strong and... Be not afraid or dismayed. Sounds just like what God said to Joshua before the king of Assyria, right? Read with me a little bit further, all right? Nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are, oh, does this sound familiar? For there are more with us than there are with him. Now, read this. With, his, with him, with our enemy, is an army of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God. See the difference? Some trust in horses and chariots. We will trust in the Lord our God. And the, tr- the presence of God will help us to fight our battles. I want you to understand that there is more with us than there are with them. Children of God versus the enemy, all right? There's more with us. So moving right along, uh, let me give you another verse just to encourage you this morning. We are, in fact, surrounded. Do you ever feel surrounded? you ever feel surrounded like the enemy's on every side and the attacks just keep coming? Sicknesses and deaths and difficulties and pop-up bills. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those bills you weren't expecting and all that stuff. It seems like you're attacked on every side. Then you have a flat and the washing machine goes out and then you get sick and it just seems like attacks are on every side. That's not the kind of surrounded I'm talking about. I'm talking about being surrounded by the protection of God. And I want to give you Psalm 125 and verse number two. It's going to be on the overhead just now. I want you to jot it down somewhere. Maybe put it somewhere that you can read it each day. And that is, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord, not not the mountains, but the Lord, not the horses of fires of, of, of chariots of fire, but the Lord surrounds his people. Now, he might do it in the form of invisible chariots of fire. You don't know, but it is the presence of God from this time forth and forevermore. So it was true for them. It was true for Elisha and his servant, but it's also true for those of us who put our hope and trust in Jesus. Isn't that good news? Surrounded. So sometimes I be walking around and those things start happening and people are talking. And then, man, it seems like, you know, recently there's been so many diagnoses of cancer lately. So many. So many. And I, I'm reminded as I, sometimes the enemy will whisper, see, 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 uh-huh, the diagnosis, look at the struggle, look at the, and I, and I say, wait, 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 what's Psalm 125 too? Uh, as the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this day forward and forevermore. And that means I've got a mountain range of protection around me. And who is it? It's God. And that means, wait a minute though, if that's the case, how do these things come into my life? If God is for me and not against me, if he is this great mountain range of protection, if he can send chariots of fire to protect, why do I sometimes find myself engaged in a major battle, right? We'll come back to that. Hang with me, all right? So that keeps you at halftime, not check out. Actually, we're at the finish line, Roman numeral four, all right? If you will, in your notes, let's look at verses 18 to 23. And there are two things I want to point out, two observations I want to point out out of there, out of this. So Roman number four is going to be the Lord provides victory for his people. Okay? The Lord provides victory for his people. But it's, I need you to observe two things about his victory that are different than the victories that we plan. Okay? Two things. So the Lord provides victory for who? Now, now here's a disclaimer. Not everybody in the room, this room is God's people. You don't, don't you love that? I went to Hickory Ridge, and he said, everybody ain't God's children. No, you have to be born again to be his child. And a lot of times in a room this size, this many people, those listening online, and we'll be listening to podcasts later, means that somebody in here has a high probability has not in your life truly been born again, born of the Spirit. So this doesn't apply to you. 
This is for the, ch boy, look at that sad look. You don't have to be sad. The, 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 the invitation stands, amen? You can come get on his team, amen? You can come be part of his family, amen? And uh, not that everything's going to be smooth and easy, but you'll have a new presence in your life, and it changes everything. So now, the victory. Let's get to it, all right? Look with me, if you will, in these last verses in closing, uh, verse number 18 to 23. What happens? So when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed. Now, first observation I want to make, okay, that God provides victory for his people. First observation, it begins in prayer and not planning. Listen to me. It begins in prayer and not, come on, everybody together. It begins in prayer and not our tendency, every one of us, is to plan first, pray later. We jack things up when we plan first and pray later. In August, I will have been pastoring and have the honor of pastoring here for 18 years. Can you believe that? And as I have walked this journey, let me tell you the one thing that has made people more mad at me than any other thing. Can you believe I've made people mad? That surprised you, doesn't it? I'm still surprised too. The one thing is that I, I will pray and wait till I hear from God before I move. And people will get ticked off at you. you listen, y'all don't look at me surprised like that. Y'all looking like, really? Yeah, some of y'all have done it. And what happens is they say, oh, preacher, we're running out of room. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. And, and I get, I wish I could tell you, I get encouragement through text messages about what we should do. And I get encouragement through emails of what we should do. And I get Facebook messages about what we should do. And then I get these, uh, I get these mystery messages somehow through Instagram. I don't know how to do that about what we should do. And, and uh, always bombarded about what we should do. But here's what I, I, and people get upset. They say, why hadn't we, we need to do something. And I say, yes, we need to pray. They say, well, we need to do something. Well, yes, we need to pray. And people get frustrated when you say, it's about the prayer before the movement. Because the, without the prayer, the movement has no effect. And what you need to learn, and I need to learn in this life, is the difference between operating on a good idea and a word from God. Why'd you do that? Well, I just felt like it was a good idea. Okay, well, it may be, but it may not be. I don't want to live my life rooted on living my life by a good idea. Because sometimes the ideas that I think are good turn out to be terrible ideas. But I have found... Every time that I have waited on the Lord and prayed and prayed and prayed until I felt God move and speak and direct, every single time it's been blessed by God in ways that nobody can, can talk you out of and can't discredit. Nobody gets the glory but God himself. So, so we want to pray. Notice what Elijah did. The first thing that Elijah did, you see that? He says, what are we going to do? First he says, well, let me pray and God will open your eyes. Boom, that happened. He says, now I'm going to pray again and I'm going to close their eyes. So he prayed once to open his eyes spiritually. He prayed again to close their eyes physically. Isn't God good? He can do anything, anytime, anywhere. Don't you ever be afraid of the enemy's attack. When you serve a God that can close eyes, open eyes, he can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. But it begins and ends in prayer. Look what it says in verse number 18. So when the Syrians came down, they came down, they're closing the distance. It's one thing to say it when you see them on the horizon and say, oh, there's a fight up there. It's something different when the fight's coming to you and it's getting close. And what did Elijah do? He got his, sword, he got his shield and his sword and he got all his men. He said, we need to have a planning time and we need to plan the topography of the land and we need to plan out our battle strategy and let's break up into groups and let's plan and plan. No, 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 no. What he did was Elijah prayed and he sought direction from God. And I want you to understand that every difficult thing you face in your life, if you stop trying to plan through it and you just begin to pray through it, you'll find a significant difference that when your direction and understanding is shaped and informed by God himself, everything is different. 
I'm reminded of this Better Marriage Conference coming up very soon. It's coming up very soon, July 7th and 8th. Somebody says, we didn't hear about that a long time. I said, well, God didn't tell me a long time ago. He just told me kind of all of a sudden. And as I shared it with our marriage team and blessed their hearts, because one thing about me, at the same time, I may sometimes be later than you want me to be. Sometimes I'll be earlier than you want me to be. Meaning this, I just, if God says do it, I just go ahead and do it. And I mentioned it to our team and we got that plan. But here's the point. We said, you know, man, this is going to be short notice. And we'll just, if a few couples come, we already have 103 couples signed up. And what, what, what's the point? The difference between a good idea and a word from God. And by the way, if you didn't sign up for that, you should. Because it's a word from God, and I believe he's going to do some unbelievable things that weekend. So we pray. That's our first line of defense. That's where we seek direction. That's where we say, okay, God, how do I uh, battle this diagnosis? How do I battle this divorce? How do I battle this depression? How do I battle this financial situation? Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I show me, direct me? And then here's the hard part, praying and, oh, I'm going to add to it. You ready for this? It's going to be painful for me to say, waiting. I hate to wait. Some of you are like, really? Because you wait a lot. Well, I don't mean I like it. I hate waiting. If you hang around me much, you'll find out I don't like to wait for anything. If it can be done, let's go ahead and do it. But that's sometimes the greatest mistake we can make. Can you imagine if Elijah would say, grab your sword, servant, let's go out here and fight him. The, dam the damage that would have been done, the destruction that would have happened. The Lord provides the victory. Number one, it begins in prayer and not planning, all right? Number two, and finally, his way is not always logical. His way is not always logical. It doesn't mean that God doesn't operate in logic. He does, but, but it's not always logical. What do you mean? Okay, if I'm in this scenario, you know what I want to see happen? All right, you got, you got a big army coming to kill you, okay? They're, they're, they're angry. They're mad. They want you dead. They want you captured. They want you tortured. They want you shut up, and they want to harm you. All right, so then in return, you have been afraid because you're outnumbered, but now you realize that you're not outnumbered. I want to fight. Anybody else want to fight? I'm the only one, me and Chad. You want, I want to fight. I'm ready. I said, look, oh, oh y'all, oh, they with us? Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. And I want to fight. I want to see what happens when a, a horse of fire jumps on a guy. Huh? Anybody else wondering about that? I know some of you guys are. Y'all thinking, man, I wonder how a horse of fire fights. Does he whip him with his tail? Or Anyway. So logically, you say, what are the horses and the, and the chariots of fire there for? Logic tells you that they're going to what? They're going to fight. They're there to fight, but that's not what happens at all. What happens? Elijah prays, let them be blind. Now, remember who they came for. They didn't come for the servant. They came for who? And who's the one that leads them into Samaria? Elijah. Hey, y'all, you're in the wrong town. <laughs> this, is the guy, this is the guy they came to get, but they can't see their hand in front of their face. And so he says, hey, hey, listen, y'all are in the wrong town. You've made some, you've got some logical errors, mistakes in latitude and longitude. Come on, I'll take you. Y'all trust me. I'll take you. Can you imagine? What a ridiculous way for God to show he's God. And it's not always according to your plan and my plan how victory comes. And so he just leads them over into a different town. And then, then, and then listen, I don't know, what about the ending? Is anybody else a little bit amazed by the way that ends? They're having a big meal together. So nobody gets killed. I'm, I'm, am I, am I, if I'm watching this movie, if I'm watching this, I'm going to see some fiery horses jump on some guys and, you know, and some things happen. None of that. Oh, y'all in the wrong place. He leads them to Samaria. The king says, all right, all right, we got him now. We want to kill him, want to kill him. And Elijah says, no, don't kill him, feed him. Feed him? They are our enemies. They came to harm us. Feed them. Now, where in the world would anybody come up with such an idea to bless your enemies? 
you hear that come from somebody's mouth before? You've read it in red before if you have a red-letter Bible. Who was it that said, bless those who curse you? Jesus. And so we find that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so they have a big meal. Who could do something like that except for God? Listen to me. You think in your situation that God can't do something good in it, you are sadly mistaken. If you're operating in your mind defeated before the situation unfolds, you have listened to the beautiful lies, and they are beautiful because he's good at it, lies of the enemy. And I beg you today, break free from the chains of his lies and be reminded who God is in the midst of your struggle. Yes, he promised to be with us. And that doesn't mean we're always going to be healed. And we're always gonna, but it also doesn't mean that we're always going to die from the sickness and we're always going to face a divorce and we're always going to be anxious and nervous and depressed. He is with us. And he's the God of the impossible. And because of that, listen close, because of that, God's people will never be the underdog. Let's take just a moment and pray together. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a moment in conclusion, God's people will never be underdogs. Now, here's a question for the group. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm just sort of looking around the room, just a little bit, just me, nobody else. And I want to ask this question. How many would say that you got some situations going on where you feel like the underdog. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your single life, maybe it's in parenting. There ought to be some parents raise your, both of your hands. You feel like the underdog in trying to direct kids and shape kids. And <laughs> How about business? There ought to be some business owners. You feel like the underdog? You ought to, ought to be raising your hand. And so as such, would you be reminded today that if, in fact, you are his child, there's no scenario where you'll ever be the underdog, ever, ever. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how badly you have failed him, you'll never be the underdog. So this morning, the question is, are you his and is he yours? In the stillness of this moment, I'm not asking you, have you ever prayed this prayer? I'm asking you, have you ever surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you go back to a time, and I don't mean you necessarily know the date, but you ought to know where you were and what was going on when you heard the good news of the gospel, that God sent his son into the world to die for the sins of all mankind, to rise from the dead, and to offer to everybody eternal hope and salvation and forgiveness and purpose. And upon that realization, as God showed that to you, you surrendered your life and invited Jesus, confessed him as Lord, turning away from you being the boss, and everything changed. If not... I just want to speak to your heart for just a moment. What are you waiting for? There's some questions there if you can't clarify. You know, you can't be saved twice, but you must be saved once. If you're not enjoying relationship with the Father, I wish today that you'd come to him through the Son. As the music begins to play, just for a moment, I want you just to think back over the scope of your life. It's not too late. It's not too late. Today, you could invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Have your sins forgiven. Child of God, it's not too late. Victory is there for the taking. Listen, if you and I will simply believe he's the same God that he always has been and he can do it again. If you have some things this morning that you need to take to him, I pray that you would. Some things that you've given up on. Some things maybe you've ceased to even pray about because, well, the doctor said it's going to be this way and you're just sort of giving up hope or, or, or I don't know the situation, but you do. I wish you'd take that to him today. Take that to him right now. Unload the weight of that. 
Ask him to give you a touch of faith this morning, that you would believe again that he is the God of the impossible. I want to say as you stand with me, would you do that? Would you stand with your head bowed and eyes closed? Would you stand just to your feet if you can? that the altar's open. There may just need to be some today just need to come spend some time there with King Jesus, just you and him. Maybe a husband and wife needs to come. Maybe there's a dad who needs to bring a child. I, I don't know the situation, but just know the altar's open. It'd be a great place for two people to come and pray. Maybe somebody in the room knows about your struggle. Nobody else does. Maybe you two would just come and pray together. Maybe you've got a friend in the room who's got a struggle, and you know about that struggle, and you're their friend, and you ought to come now and take your arm around their shoulder and come down the altar and just pray over them. Ask God to give them faith to believe he can. So, Father, this morning I simply pray you'd have your way, whether it be salvation, whether it be somebody returning, or whether somebody believing again, whether it be somebody here today who the chains of doubt, the chains of despair, of defeat, have weighed them down and got them back into a corner in the prison and they're panicking. I pray in Jesus' name today you'd bust those chains, show them that that prison door is open, Walk them out. Walk them out, Lord. Mentally, physically, emotionally. Walk them out. Show them those chariots of fire. Remind them that the situation may still be on the horizon, but you're there. So, Lord, would you move now according to your perfect plan. In Jesus' name, amen.